Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Listening to Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome everybody into the Valley Phoenix Suns Podcast. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell. Uh we had some earlier uh early technical difficulties on the YouTube screen. Uh it's a beautiful foreshadowing of what's to be discussed in a uh, rough game six here for the Phoenix Suns. Suns lose 113.86 yesterday evening. We gave ourselves some time to uh, mentally put ourselves together, and that's a very generous we. In reality, Philip was kind enough for me to take some time to mentally put myself back together. But here we are. We took the night to sleep, uh, rewatched to whatever extent you deemed necessary, which it was very painful, I must say. Uh, and do some light reading, see what might have happened to get us to the result, which once again, 113.86, and it really wasn't close. It didn't feel like a game from like the eight, seven, six minute mark in the second quarter. Uh, it was, it was, it was pretty rough, pretty rough. Philip, how you feeling about game six in an, in a nutshell? I mean, and I know there's not too much optimism to go around here, but what are you thinking? I'm glad you're asking me about game six specifically. It was terrible because I was about to say I'm doing pretty well overall this morning. Life is good. My, yeah, life is very good. My three week and a day old daughter started her day by smiling at her mom, turning her head and then smiling at me, which is a big W, which is a good healthy reminder, especially as we're going into a weekend. I don't know. I'm assuming most of our listeners are significantly farther west in the country than we are. That is correct. Where, where we are, it's getting gorgeous right now. So we're going to have an entire weekend before game seven. Touch some grass, Suns fans. Get outside. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the sun. And game seven will come when it comes. I I think the extra day of rest is key for the players. But I also think the fans desperately need it. Just based on a quick uh, Twitter health check last night, it was a dark place. I, I don't know how much of your Twitter feed is is Suns related. I know when I'm logging on to the podcast account, the entire feed is Suns related. It was a scary place, man. I had to I had to hop off into the third and be like, I don't need this right now. Here's my here's my Twitter philosophy. I have started following more and more Suns fans over over the last year and a half or so. But I'm still fairly selective because as a general rule of thumb, fans 
aren't good at talking about their own team, the the pendulum swings back and forth depending on the game. So when I see people whose best analysis is to blame the refs or to just be like flagrantly fans, I'm just like, nope, you either get a mute if I feel like I have to follow you or you just get an unfollow if I feel like it's it's irrelevant to us. So that being said, a lot of the Suns fans who I am following, they were they were rightly frustrated with the players. And I think that's exactly right. Sometimes in the playoffs, you can cast kind of an eye of dispersion towards the coach or towards a GM, which was happening a little bit last night because we're going to talk about Eric Gordon for some reason in May instead of back in February. But it was all on the players last night. The Suns players put on a dumpster fire of a performance last night. And what we'll get into a little bit later, schematically at times, and this is this was rare during the game last night, they looked great and they carved up the Mavericks on several possessions last night. And we were in, Ethan and I were in an Xbox party and there were a couple times where I went, that, that's what they need to be doing the entire time. We'll get into that later. But again, this one, usually the blame can go between coaches and players. This one, in my mind, is sitting heavily, heavily on the players' shoulders, and specifically two players. Oh, what a tease. What a tease. We'll get to those in a second. No, it's Devin Uh, Booker and Chris Paul. You didn't... I'm not not teasing that. It's Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and we'll get to that more later. Let's let's be real. No one was going to keep listening just to hear the answer to that question. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe they were really, really interested. Uh, But we're going to start this... Game six recap the way that we've been starting our other playoff game recaps, and that is our statistical storyline. Now, there is a small caveat on this one. There is uh, one particular statistic that we plan on talking about a great deal shortly. So we're going to put that one on the back burner. Uh, I will not spoil it like Philip because I believe in some production quality here. But I want to go ahead and start with a big one, and that is three-point field goal attempts. The Suns shot 18 threes. The Mavs made 16 threes. They attempted 39 and shot at a better clip. They were 41% on 39 attempts to the Suns, 33% on 18. And I'm, I'm too lazy to go back to see how many of the Suns' attempts were in garbage time. But a simple box score check will allow you to see some people who have three-point attempts and you know exactly when they played their minutes. So even that number is a, a tad bit inflated, but that's one that really jumped off the screen to me where it is. And again, we've discussed this. The Suns, though they had a top five offense, they didn't have the craziest volume in three-pointers every game or free throw attempts every game. That's fine. That's, that's how they play. We, hopefully you all as listeners understand, we are not going to be putting up Chris Paul, Houston Rockets attempts across the board and expect that that's how our offense works, right? But when the disparity is that large, that is where it starts to stick out to me. Like if it was a game where we were being highly efficient around the rim or getting to our spots from, you know, the elbow and just carving him, sure, maybe you're not shooting as many threes. You don't need to. But in a game like tonight, it just, that just jumped out to me 
Um, we'll talk a little bit, maybe why that was in a second. Uh, but Philip, what, what really jumped out to you? Statistically, I think that three pointers is they're important. Uh, one of the, one of the confusing things for a lot of Suns fans is that it looks so different now in the playoffs or at times the Suns have looked so different. Their offenses look clunky where it was smooth and it was dynamic in the regular season. So just to put a little bit of context to the three-point shooting, in the regular season, the Suns got up about 32 three-pointers per game. So you're looking at a 14-shot difference. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be more reasonable and say, okay, but what are they doing in the playoffs? They're shooting over 26 and a half three-pointers per game. And last night's pulling that down some. Eight three-pointers, that's a lot, especially when you're shooting 36% as a team. 36-3, you're looking at a nine-point swing just in shot selection. That was some quick maths. I hope Ethan, the math guy, can appreciate that. So You're uh, looking at at a nine-point swing just by nature of your shot selection last night when again when you're looking purely statistically and that's a that's a huge deal that's a huge deal if you can disperse that throughout the course of a game the mavericks the mavericks this is really interesting to me during the regular season the mavericks shot i had it pulled up i think it was 37 ish yeah 37.4 three pointers per game in the playoffs they are averaging 40 three-point attempts per game. So they've actually ticked their percentage up, which is interesting. So going into game seven, we'll be looking for, can you limit the Mavericks output from the three-point line? And can the Suns increase theirs? Another one, another one that stood out, and this was a huge difference from game five, the assist numbers. NBA.com has the assists even. 18 assists for the Suns. 18 assists for the Mavs because of how the Mavericks best player plays because of how Luca plays, you would hope that you can put some space between you and the Mavericks. If you're a Suns fan, you're hoping you can put some space between the assist. You're hoping that you can get some easier shots based off of ball movement because of how the Suns offense usually runs. And that was even, so that was a huge, huge plus for the Mavericks. And then just shooting wise, just shooting wise, the field goal attempts are incredible. 78 field goal attempts yeah. for the Suns, 77 for the Mavs. That is a low, low number. Let's see if we can find this real quick. The Ooh. lowest. Yeah. The lowest average of field goal attempts in the regular season was the Philadelphia 76ers at 84.5 field goal attempts per game. 84.5. So you were looking at, compared to what we've all been watching, what we've all been watching is we're looking at a team that's playing at a very slow pace. And I would say that lends itself to help the Mavericks instead of the Suns. Yep. And branching off a little bit from game six alone, when you're looking at this series, 
I was I struggled to rewatch game six, but I did have a good time looking through series numbers up until this point. I think I tweeted out some of kind of like the shooting breakdowns from Mikhail uh, in the series so far, and I was kind of going into the weeds there. But just team comparisons through six games, I think this is really interesting. The Suns are averaging 106 points a game. The Mavs are averaging 105. So that right there makes it seem like this is a close series. This should be going to seven. The closest difference in points in an actual game was game one, and it was a seven-point win that was very, very skewed towards the end, if you remember. Like, the Suns took care of business. Mavs farted around and made it look close. I think there's also a nine-point win and maybe a 10-point win, but every single one of those was a team was in control. The other team kind of tried to scrap back, but never quite could. So every game has been one at home and one in a convincing manner. We've not had any nail biters going into the fourth. And that's what's been really weird for me is it's really a tale of of two teams on each side. Like Mavs fans and Mavs podcasts are probably saying the same crap of why are our guys performing so well at home and can't deliver on the road. But again, we look at the rest of the series stats here. If I'm looking at numbers that I think would tell the tape of who's the better team, who should win this, the Suns are out-rebounding the Mavs by around nine a game. They're out-assisting the Mavs by about seven a game. The only category, only category that is skewed towards the Mavs is the turnovers. That's it. If you look at the shooting numbers, the Suns are shooting better from the floor, better from three, better from the free throw line. This series should not be going to seven if the Suns could get their heads out of their butts. Right? Like, big picture, they were not able to deliver one time on the road. That is, that's weird, given that they were one of the most historically best road teams ever this season. So that's where it was really weird for me looking at the stats and the storyline of the series, big picture, of it looks like the Suns should be in a better spot than they are. Uh, But anyway, we're going to move into a quick actual breakdown of what really happened here. Uh, And I want to make a quick comment. And Philip, you can you can argue with this if you would like. Um, It came to my mind as I saw one of the folks in the YouTube comments, which if you are watching live with us, we appreciate you very, very much. But there was a comment that referenced a certain referee who I will not speak of by name. I would like to go ahead and say on record, it is the official stance of Into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast that we do not care who the referees are of a basketball game. A certain referee will not make a difference in game seven. No one referee has changed the outcome of any game we've seen so far. And in a battle of a certain referee versus a certain point guard, one of those two people have done way more harm to our team this series than the other. So. That is that is our podcast stance on a certain referee. If he's there, great. If he's not, great. I want the Suns to win the basketball game. That said, what happened? What happened in game six? We had all this hype. We had all this closeout game on the road. This is what Chris and Booker were made for, blah, blah, blah. And then we saw that game. So, Philip, as you take your final sip of coffee before giving me a absolutely beautiful answer what happened you already alluded to it 
the Suns were so bad turning the ball over. It was an atrocity. An atrocity. Let's contextualize it a little bit. The Suns had, according to NBA.com, which after watching what they called turnovers, I think these numbers are slightly off. I think I don't think it's this bad. But the Suns had 22 turnovers. The Mavericks had six. Now you go, there was some garbage time. What happened in garbage time? All but two of those 22 turnovers came before the bench units got, like the deep bench units got in at the end of the game. 18 then of those 20 turnovers that came in the course of the normal game, 18, 90% of them came from starters. So this was not, this was not Landry coming in, Cam Johnson coming in, JaVale McGee, Busy, whoever else usually comes off the bench. This wasn't those guys coming in as the second unit and turning the ball over. This was the starters, the starters on the Phoenix Suns being bad with the basketball in their hands. And specifically, 13 of those 20, 13 of those 20, which if my math's right, that's what, 65%? 65% of those came from Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Devin Booker and Chris Paul account for 65% of the important turnovers that the Suns had. And Booker had eight of them. Booker had eight of them. So what we saw last night was the Suns' primary ball handlers, who we we were singing their praises, and we were, if you didn't catch back in game four, we were saying, you can play Landry. You can play Landry because Devin Booker and Chris Paul are always on the court, and they're good enough handling the ball. Last night, that was not the case. They were not playing well enough to help facilitate to other people to get other people going because they were so careless with the basketball. And that yeah. was the story of the game because the Mavericks scored 29 points right. off of and the Phoenix Suns turnovers and the Suns only scored six points off of the Mavericks turnovers. And when you get into this, what you see is that this, the Mavericks got credited with 16 steals which means of those 22 turnovers that the Suns had, at least 16 of them are live ball turnovers. Right. Which means you can start flying up the court, you can get easier shots in in transition, which we know that the Mavericks had some backbreakers, especially late in the second quarter, in transition. So it, the story of this game is Devin Booker and Chris Paul were not good enough. Yeah. And just for reference, I know a lot of times we throw out like numbers per game and it could sound high, it could sound low. Just for record's sake and kind of giving you an idea, for the entire season, the Suns averaged 12.9 turnovers per game. Booker and Paul today took care of 13 by themselves. And then again, we've got another nine to account for. Uh, And that's that's just really surprising when you're when your season average is twelve nine and you're sitting at this series at fifteen eight. That's a that's a big deal, and it's not like I know twenty two is a lot. This one game didn't inflate those stats to some crazy number. It's not like we're working with a sample size of two here. We're six games in. Like this is a a true showing of what of what's being seen. And JJ Reddick said something 
on the broadcast last night. And I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, we are a very pro-JJ Redick uh, group over here. The dude is very, very intelligent. He made a comment when the discussion continued to be focused on Phoenix's turnovers, Phoenix's turnovers, Phoenix's offensive woes, whatever. And he's like, I think we should also talk about what is Dallas doing to create this outcome? Instead of just saying, what's wrong with Phoenix? Asking the question, what's Dallas doing maybe that's not being discussed? And from your perspective, and maybe this is too simple of a question here, do you think the turnover problem is more due to the Mavs or to the Suns? It, it's both, but the Suns should be good enough to counteract the increased pressure. I, I cannot call when you, when you started setting me up right there, Ethan, I tried to bring up in my mind, there's a, there was a possession last night where Chris Paul has the ball on the right wing. DA had set a screen. So he was going to pass to Mikhail. And a lot of times when CP three passes to Mikhail on the left side of the wing, Mikhail can either drive because he has a step on his defender because his defender shading over to help, or he can get the ball to Mikhail who can get it into DA pretty quickly. And the pass was just terrible. Yep. It was awful. It was a step up the court. So Mikhail had to go and grab the ball. And then all the momentum that you have on that possession is lost. That's an unforced error. That doesn't show up in the turnover stat line, but it's bad and you're messing up a possession like that and I think if you go back and rewatch and look at just the crispness of some of the Suns passing yes Dallas's length is having an impact but the Suns needed to be tighter with their offensive sets so do guys like Bullock DFS and Frankie Smokes deserve to be deserve to get some praise Absolutely, because they are making life harder, but there are also samples from during the game where the Suns, if they use a significant amount of the shot clock, the Suns can still slice and dice this Mavericks defense. So I was, and we both, we're usually looking at other screens occasionally uh, as, as we listen to the point being made. And I was trying to find that instance for you. And what I found, which I guess I realized but had forgotten, uh, NBA.com stats are our favorite when it comes to free statistics out there. And one thing we use a lot is if you go to the box score, you will see that the field goal attempts and makes are hyperlinked. If you click on them, it will start a video, basically a slideshow playlist, whatever of all of the shots from the game. It's really, really cool. I didn't realize you could do that on turnovers. So you can just pull it up. And I just watched the first four Booker turnovers. It was, had his pocket picked by Luca. It was, went in, and this is one where the two of us both got so very unhappy on the mic, where he left his feet, having no idea where to go with it, and then just threw it to him. Then it was stripped again when they doubled. And then it was another, hit it out of his hand, panicked, threw it right at him. And I think three of my immediate memory reacts. I think three of those four immediately turned into buckets. Like that is just, look, I guess you can say credit to the Mavs for doubling him or pressuring him, but Booker is better than that. And I agree with you. I say all that to say that's on the Suns for me. Like, yes, the Mavs can throw good looks, 
but they are not the ones always responsible. Booker needs to be better. Chris needs to be better. And and we've seen it. I mean, the Suns have changed up their defensive pressure, and Lucas had a couple big turnover games. But any fan who I think is being realistic is saying, that's on Luca. Like Luca shouldn't have eight turnovers. Like there's no defense out there that is going to force the hand of a player of that caliber. Like that's that's you got to know what you have available. The turnovers are just killing. And if you had asked me what what team stat would be the one that seems to differentiate these two teams, there is no way that I would have anticipated it being the turnovers. But that I mean that's just been it. And so my question for you is we try to figure out what can be done, what needs to be fixed. And then maybe we just take the cop out and say, well, we're going to play at home. Seem things seem to go better there. Right. Like, what do you think the Suns can do? Is there anything they can do schematically to handle the pressure, to handle the blitzes, the doubles, or is this one of those things where you just say our dudes need to be better, which I think is a very simple blanket statement that is very very true yeah so a couple different a couple different answers for that if it's if it's blitzing i think the suns just need to trust their read and react when guys get blitzed jay and mikhail make themselves available and then they go down the hill on that the only thing that i would like to change up is i would like for jay crowder to stop flopping <laughs> when he drives go to score and not to get fouled some of his drives frustrate me towards that towards that end the other thing if it's just about their defensive pressure i want to see the suns do this a little bit especially when they hand it off to mikhail just some simple dribble weave action just to get the mavericks rotating dribble weave is a staple of a lot of dribble drive offenses so think like man this is getting into the weeds a little bit Think like John Calipari's offense. I was going to, I was going to say that is the thing that Cal gets wrecked on forever is his inability to run anything, but that his problem is that he doesn't recruit good shooters, but that's, that's a whole different issue. There's a sidebar I want to go down, but I'm going to bring it back to into the Valley of Phoenix suns podcast and not, and not talk about Oscar Sheboy and whatever the Wheeler's kid's name is severe. But anyway, proceed. There you go. Okay. So with the dribble, weave, with Mikhail, Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the court just weave a bit, which the Suns do to start some of their sets. Again, not necessarily because you think anything's anything great is going to come straight from that, but I want to see some more action getting into sets like snap and um, Spain, maybe not as much with the dribble weave, but just get the Mavericks moving, get them in their rotations a little bit. And then we start, then we start our sets. Then we get into some more intentionality. And again, this, I don't know if this will be a magic fix, but what, what I've been seeing just from the eye test is that when the Mavericks are moving around defensively, they are significantly worse yep. than when the Suns are headhunting. I think the Mavericks have started doing a really good job knowing when to help down, help over on CP3's pick and rolls. I don't think they're doing as good of job as uh, as that in their guarding lateral lateral passes. And I think I think something that speaks to that is 
you mentioned it already. There were a few plays where the two of us both said, that's Suns basketball. And almost every one of those were when either they were having some sort of constant movement around the perimeter, whether that was the ball flying around or the player baseline cut, pop out in the other corner, something to force a rotation of movement of something. But you said it as well. It seemed like the Suns got really, really accustomed in game one and a little in game two of saying, well, let's look at our five and let's look at their five. Who's their weak link? Let's let's LeBron James this. Let's do little screens and switches until we have the matchup we want. Oh, crap. Now there's eight seconds left in the shot clock. Make something happen. And if something doesn't work, you are screwed. Like You don't have the safety outlets that come from utilizing the entire team. And so I think you're right. Like we We can't do this ISO matchup hunting offense. And more than anything, I think the reason we don't need to do it is because that's not what we practice for 82 games. Like, Find me a Suns game where the reason the Suns won in the regular season against a good team was we see one mismatch. We're going to go at that for, for an entire 48. Like That's just not how they found success. I don't know why that seems to be something they're relying on. Was that me being too pessimistic and annoyed watching the game, or did it seem like they were kind of repeatedly just trying to get that matchup, try to get that particular switch, and then try to attack it, and a lot of the times fail? Yeah, and I think it's the James Harden problem where it's hard to get other people involved and to have other people stay in rhythm if that's the offense that they're running. And I just, I don't think that has been the way the Suns play. One of the things that I like that the Suns do and they did it earlier this series, and they did it against New Orleans as well. They're going to run their normal sets throughout the game. And then if they are going to headhunt, they're going to save it for the fourth quarter when their defenders are when their defenders are getting tired. And Chris Paul has done so well in the fourth quarter in the past, not the last couple of games, but he's done so well that the Suns trust him then to start headhunting. I don't think headhunting can be the offensive philosophy throughout the game. I think it needs to be uh, just more standard Suns basketball, ball movement, lots of reversals, getting good looks, getting good looks under three seconds left in the shot clock. I know it can feel tense when the shot clock's winding down, but that's where I think the Suns have been at their best in the last several, in the last several games. Right. Can we... Go ahead, go ahead. I had one quick question for you because I think it falls in this and it kind of popped in my head reading a comment we got here on the YouTube comments. Um, the the gist of the comment is, do you think the headhunting, especially with all the Luca and Booker back and forth, all that crap, is in some try to embarrass some way, try to sun him way, something like that. And, and my question is kind of a spinoff from that. Do you think we're too, seeing too much uh, what the two of us sometimes describe as Booker ball uh, or, you know, the this is a closeout game balls in my hand? Because what was weird was the first quarter book came out. He attacked the rim repeatedly, found success, got to the free throw line, eight quick points on three attempts. And then it was just this weird stall. And then you've got Chris Paul just being unwilling to shoot the ball at all, comes out and hits a three and then goes right back to it. 
And then it felt like it took the entire game for Book to remember, oh, hey, this works. I'm going to attack the rim. And then he started finding success again. Do you think some of this could be mental? Like a psychological thing of some kind that they just seem off? Because I don't think there's a number or a scheme or a rotation I can throw at you to explain how how that result quite happened. Do you think some of this could just be a we're we're getting some pushback, we have this conflict and we need to get through it? I don't know, man. He he sunned Reggie Bullock uh, Bullock, sorry. <laughs> Not I wasn't trying to troll. Him. I'll, I'll try him. to troll in uh in future episodes if the Suns win, but that was not one of them. He sunned Bullock in the first quarter. He was getting by Reggie seemingly with ease at the beginning of the game, and I think there are ways for the Suns to incorporate getting Devin Booker going downhill into the normal flow of their offense. Right. CP3 pick and roll with DA coming back towards the middle of the court, which CP3 doesn't always like to do. But coming back towards the middle of the court with the other two, with Mikhail and Jay, or with Cam and Mikhail setting a pin down screen, a shooter lifting from the opposite corner, and then CP3 making a pass to Devin, hopefully having cleared out that side, and Devin going downhill. Like that's pretty standard stuff that the Suns can run, getting good shooters going, and then finding Booker off of their cuts and off of their flare outs and off of the pin down screens to get him going at at defenders who don't seem like they can handle him in a one-on-one situation. But the problem with him is he's got to go at the basket a little bit more because something that we've we've discussed the last couple of days, Ethan, is Devin is so good when he gets right around the basket, being able to jump and hang. He isn't. Yeah, I, I described it last night. It's very Clay Thompson-esque when Clay can be rolling off of a three, like off of a pick high and just elevate. His body goes completely vertical, no matter what direction he's swaying, and the shot looks the exact same. And yeah, it's it is a legit talent that Booker has. But I think that's best done about ten feet, yeah, from the basket, ten feet, and in where it's not, it doesn't take a lot of strength to get the ball to the rim. He's just being athletic enough to hang and then go. But again, the whole point of this: get Booker going downhill. Not just in a one-on-one situation, but off of the normal the normal sets. Ethan, if you have if you have time, do you want to kind of rapid fire some of the questions that we have? Because I think some of the questions we have are yeah things that Suns fans might be might be interested in. Okay, yeah. so just to just to reinforce, we did get the question at the beginning of the episode about referees. We are not worried about any referees. Yep. None. We ain't worried about it. We have another question which basically asks, is DA the kind of guy who can put the Mavs in a bad position by nature of his offensive ability? It's the year of our Lord 2022. We don't dump the ball in to centers anymore and say, go to work, big fella. Unless you are a transcendent generational talent like a Joel Embiid. And even, and even then, That's you watch Joel Embiid, He's not getting into his stuff just going down on the block. That's not how he operates. That's not what he does. DA was the only person last night who I thought played well. Mm -hmm. I thought he had, and listen to his stat line. His stat line plays it out. 21 points, 
11 rebounds on 10 of 16 from the field. DA shooting over 60%, bunch of rebounds. Okay defense. At times, the only thing you can nitpick is that he was one of four from the line. His three missed free throws didn't do anything to that game. I'm fine with DA. I'm fine with the role he's playing. Get him the ball in the, yeah, someone said DeMarcus Cousins as well. Back to the basket. His two-man game out on the perimeter with Bones Island was nasty as well. So even, even a guy like Boogie, he's not, you're not just dumping it down and saying, go to work over and over again, even if they have a somewhat smaller guy. And Kleba, Kleba isn't the mismatch that maybe some of us think he is mm-hmm. when he's down low. He played physically with the so a couple his, times. His, I think JJ even said that Kleba is a much better defender than I think people assume he is. And he is, he has held his own much better than another tall European three point shooting guy yes. that the Mavs have like those and, guys, not the same. And just to wrap it up on this DA question, there was DA's turnover last night. One of his two turnovers was when he went into the chest of Kleba and that bumped DA off balance. And DA got called for a travel as he was shooting a little turnaround hook shot. So DA's doing what he should do. Make yourself available in the short roll as you're rim running and be efficient. And he was last night. The other, the other question that we had was about Frankie Smokes. Like, shouldn't Booker and CP3 be able to take Frankie Smokes to school during this game? No. Over and over, no. His his specialty is defense. So the the reason you would be happy with the reason you would be happy with Frank being on the floor is because the Mavericks offensively come down significantly. If you have him on the floor instead of Bullock or instead of if he's in the game instead of a Dinwiddie, their offensive firepower comes down because if it swings around the floor and Frank Dindalakina grabs the ball and gets ready to shoot, you go, okay, if he's the guy, if he's the guy who's going to hit the threes to beat the Suns, that's fine. That's fine. That's even good for the Suns if if you force the ball into, into his hands. Last, I think the last main one that we have is is CP3 injured and not saying anything about it. What do you think about that, Ethan? I mean, it it's hard for me to find an explanation for the drop-off in play. That is, I mean, there's not there's no defense he's not seen before. You saw what he did in game two, I believe. Like, I'm I'm not sure. I know a lot of people are referencing him grabbing his hand on the, uh, I think it was the Jay Crowder suplex maybe where Chris got pinched in the middle there. But I don't know. Like it's the, it's the lack of willingness to attack, to get to his spot, to try to do what he typically does all the while being less secure with the ball and shooting threes still pretty fine. That was another thing that was interesting to me. Like last season when he was hurt, he physically could not shoot a three-pointer. Last night, that looked like the only thing he could do. So if he is hurt, I am not sure what it is. If I had to guess, I would probably say more lower body than upper body. Like if you're just giving me a diagram, like what could be causing this? I would assume it's something legs related. Uh, 
because the shooting at least still looks all right. But think about most of his shooting around the rim, his mid-range shots. That's a lot of jumping, torquing, twisting, moving. I don't know. Some something looks off. I don't I don't know what it is. Um I think Gerald or Kellen asked him last night if he was hurt, and he gave the obvious answer of obviously I'm not. I'm here to play basketball type stuff. I get it. But it just looks something looks wrong. And I think Sunday is going to very much tell us if that's the case. With an extra day of rest under him, if he's not looking like his old self, I think the Suns are in trouble in game seven, but I also think they're in trouble if they get past a game seven. You think he's hurt? I don't know. I was just wondering if you had I think I think Luke is hurt. I, I thought Luca was hobbled I think, tonight. I thought his I think cap Luca, Luca looks he's step that dude look and we're 40 minutes in here so i think a lot of people are if they did decide to listen if they don't like us they're gone philip i think agrees with the sentiment i like luca and if you would like to leave the podcast now that's totally fine <laughs> i like luca i wanted the Suns to draft him not because i hated Aiden, because i like luca and i like how he plays the flopping is annoying yes but chris and devin do the same thing the arguing at the ref is annoying Yes, a lot of the Suns do the same thing. There is very little things that we like to nitpick about Luka that our favorite Phoenix Suns players do not themselves do. So let's set aside the petty and look at the basketball. Footwork around the rim, insane. Physically, a tank. Shot, great. Passing, not just good, but saucy, which adds to it. Defensively, eh. Whatever, right? But who cares when you're that good? So I'm not here as a, a Luca hater. If you're looking for that, I guarantee you there are 10 Suns podcasts where you will find that in abundance. That said, watching Luca how he normally operates, last night looked rough. And I know the numbers are crazy in terms of final output, but if you look at how he got there, the dude was 11 of 26 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3. And remember, he's coming off of, I think, 1 of 10. 9 of 14 from the free throw line. Like, and I guess his defensive stats get padded a lot because the Mavs just kind of let him collect the easy defensive rebounds and then start the break. But again, and then eight assists, four steals. The four steals, pretty impressive. I'm going to be honest with you. Two of them were pickpockets. That should not have happened. But that boy looked hurt, struggling, slow, if they make it past a game seven, I have no idea. Uh, Philip, I won't make you touch on Luca's injury here. I think you can. Do you want to go ahead and give the cosign of you also liking Luca? I'm going to let you go ahead and address the comment we just got because it's like a, a Bulls fan crazy nightmare dream. Uh, but touch on Luca real quick, and then you can get to the comment we just got. Luke is good, and he has that dog in him, just like Devin Booker does. When, very similar. when Booker gets going and you see like he gets a look at him and Devin will look at the other team, he'll look at the opposing fans, like he's got the edge about him. Luca has the same thing. And it's it's a joy to watch. It's a joy to watch him work. But now going into game seven, let's kind of wrap up with with some of this as we're getting close to 45 minutes. Specifically, what do the Suns need from what do the Suns need in game seven? Keeping with Luca. Play him about like you did tonight. Play him about like you did tonight. 
11 of 26. If he goes 11 of 26, pretty good. 42% from you got to so win that we'll game. That. You got to yeah. win that game. If he shoots like that, I think yeah. that's a, just a simple statement. Now send him to the line less than you did tonight. Ideally 14 free throw attempts. That is what it is. That's kind of how Luca plays. Play him tough, inefficient shooting, below 45% from the field. You'll be, you'll be living the dream. Get a repeat DA offensive performance. Efficient from the middle of the lane, shots going down, a big presence around the basket. And then, and this is what we've been calling for, normal Devin Booker, Chris Paul games. I don't think the Suns need obscenely good performances from either CP3 or Devin Booker. They need standard they need performances f- yeah. from those An guys. efficient, efficient 22-point game from Devin Booker can win you this game. And then, and then, and then, just like normal Mikhail Bridges as well. Yes. Oof. Which you would expect because he's been so much better at home than he has been yeah. on the road. But right at the very beginning of the game, man, I think Mikhail might have been one of four in the first quarter. He was getting really good looks that you would expect to go in and you would especially expect him to go in at home. So all of this to say, I think a standard performance from the Suns is good enough to beat the Mavericks unless you see an 8 of 13 from 3 in the first quarter like we did a few games ago. But statistically, we're most likely not seeing that in in a Game 7. So going into Game 7, I'm confident because I still think the Suns collectively are better, and they've proven that throughout the course of this series and even more so over the course of the the 82-game regular season. Suns fans should be confident going into the game seven. And it's the two greatest words in all of sports. I disagree. I think sun, <laughs> sun sweep, sun sweep, two great words that I enjoyed very, very much. Uh, last year, those, those were fun. And I'm, I miss those words a lot. Uh, I would say if I can strip away my fandom and just look at these two teams Game seven at home, I feel good. The Suns should win. They're the better team. They're playing at home. They're getting an extra day of rest. The Suns should win. Now, will that prevent me from being a wee bit stressed leading into that game? Absolutely. Uh, Is there an extra level of general annoyance that we don't know what time the game is going to be? Also, yes. Because I'd mentioned this to Philip, I'm going out of town uh, to go be with my wife's family for a gender reveal, which is a thing. And depending on when that game is played, I will either be watching it at home with Philip at my house where I feel comfortable and safe, or I'll be watching it on an iPad while my wife drives me home from Indiana. So help me. If you can send everyone listening all the good vibes that Bucks Celtics can go to seven so the Suns can play the late game on Sunday, I would love you all very, very much because a Suns game seven does not need to be watched in a very stressful situation 
on an iPad. Not to say that I can't do it, but I sure don't want to do it. So, Philip, you're feeling good about Game 7? I think I'm feeling good about Game 7 while also feeling terrible on the inside. Anything you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap it up? Go Suns, baby! And with that, I am Ethan Shutt, and with Philip Russell, this is Into the Valley Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.